Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Steve Sharp, Keynotes Facilitation, Consultancy Advisory. You might call it Culture Curation. Steve, you jumped out of corporate sales leadership in 2017, moved into the capability development and leadership growth space, and are currently focused on three pillars of leadership and team development, psychological safety and performance diagnostics, and keynote speaking where you take your message on the road. You believe that workplace environments, if managed well, can be a source of competitive advantage. I think I agree with you, Steve. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alistair. Great to be here, mate. I'm, um, and I'm really privileged to to be on it. And uh, and thank you for the invite. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So we said you started in corporate sales leadership, and you'd done that for a number of years, and you know we're operating at a very high level. But you've gone completely out on your own now. Uh, so you've learned a lot of things over the years, and you're taking that message on the road, and you're trying to hone the performance of teams. What caused you to move out of corporate sales leadership? You know, what did what did life for Steve look like pre 2017? Sure. So I I kind of if we go way back, I I finished school. You know, pretty typical upbringing, school life. Uh, went to university, um, and interesting story was in in the last semester of my four-year degree I was trying to do three subjects and work 60 hours a week as a concrete batcher um so I was I was destined for construction um but my boss at the time because I, I I basically got to a point of going do I risk failing and have to do another semester or do I just try and get some time off work nail these three subjects and then it'll all be done and and you know life's a breeze um and i went to my manager at the time and uh he basically said no i can't give you any time off because we've got no one to to run the plant and so i rang my cousin who was a branch manager at, at suncorp metway at the time and said can you get me a job as a teller in five weeks time and he said yep so i quit quit construction i was on you know the manager traineeship and all that sort of stuff and finished my degree and started as a teller at the wickham terrace branch in brisbane for suncorp metway um and i think my my i rose through the ranks quite quickly uh and so i was a young manager and a young executive manager um which which i think was fantastic uh, for my career, but it also came with with some challenges, particularly around you know being being the young upstart guy in a leadership position, and particularly facing the you know the 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 challenges uh, and the I suppose opinions and views of those that had been there for a while. You know, what's this young guy, and what can he teach us, and and all those types of things. So, so I think I had, I had to adapt to that pretty quickly. Um, and as I rose through the ranks and um, worked my way up the corporate ladder in inverted commas, uh, I think one of the things that I, I became really curious about at a very early stage in my career was 
the whole concept of of team dynamics and organizational culture and the fact that the bulk of the time that you spend as a leader is 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 actually trying to convince those above you and those around you of the commercial and technical aspects of how well you're performing uh which is you know 85% of the time uh, rather than actually focusing on the people in your team and the dynamics between them and the fact that if 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 you shifted your focus a little bit and and spent more time doing that, then the commercial and technical aspects of business would eventually come. Um, and I think that was the genesis point of of where where my my energy and effort and and focus went into my leadership positions. Um, and so I think as I worked up the corporate ladder, I, I did things a bit differently to, to the usual, the standard procedure of a leader in a, in a sales and service position in a retail bank um, where I, I didn't show the level of interest and intrigue and drive around the numbers or, you know, activity and and all those types of drivers that, that you get in those roles. My interest and curiosity was was much more on on how do I create an environment uh where my team pulls together and they actually drive the numbers and the activity and um, creating environments where it, it you, you get it to a point where it doesn't take you a lot of work to motivate and, and create discipline in teams and those types of things because you, you've created an environment for those who report to you who naturally will do it. Um, and so that, that kind of took me from Suncorp to, uh, to Combank uh, where I, where I was in, I was running sales teams on the mortgage broker side. I then ran internal consultancy teams that helped the retail bank and the business bank uh, increase the sales and service leadership capability within their departments. And I ended up um, in sales and service strategy at Combank under Matt Common, who who was then the um, the group executive of the retail bank. And then obviously where I met you, which, which was back in distribution where I ran the branch network for then CUA. Yeah. Um, Great Southern bank. Now I, I want to talk yeah. about, about sales leadership and numbers because it's something I knew nothing about prior to 2019. And at the end of 2019, I knew a little bit more about it, but nowhere near what I needed to know. And I've learned a bit since and I find it a fascinating subject. So, you know, you, you said there that a lot of corporations are tied up in, you know, what are the numbers? What are you doing? Prove to me how close we are to our targets. And, and you kind of booked that trend a little bit and you had a different focus. I am interested in how how you can run sales teams in a way where you're not sat on people's shoulders going, you know, sell, sell, sell. But you have got enough discipline to to, to manage your numbers because I, I feel that you need to know your numbers, but I'm interested in your perspective as to how you balance the needs of the business versus enabling a team, you know, giving them 
as much freedom as you can, but not so much that, that they just run wild and, you know, don't, don't kind of follow the objective or don't work towards the target. I'm interested in your perspectives on that one. Yeah, I think you've got to find a balance. But my, my perspective has always been there's a few steps before you drive the numbers. Um, and and I've seen it time and time, time again where sales leaders come in and just basically focus on driving the numbers. And so what you get in that environment is compliance. So, so people, people will deliver the numbers um, through a fear-based response to compliance from the from from the boss or or compliance to the boss, um, that that that's a short-term tactical strat- strategy. So, if you're in the role for six months and you need to get from A to B, then absolutely, um, that might be a great strategy. But if you want to keep the people beyond six months and that is absolutely not the right strategy um and so i think uh what 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 i noticed and i was and and to be honest i was really successful in the way that i approached this in some res- in in some parts of my career and in others not so much um and so i got it wrong i got it right and i got it wrong um but I, I've I've never wavered in in my philosophy that uh, first the first thing that you need to to be able to curate in your environment is a willingness for your people to follow you, um, which is creating an environment and one on one relationships and also then um, relationships between team members where the ability to influence each other not as as a leader your ability to influence each individual in your team but then also creating an environment where where individuals within your team can influence each other as well i think is really important for long term uh consistent success um and so i think you've got to get that that bit right before you start jamming people against against numbers and targets um, and all of those types of things. And so, and I think that's where I, f- I found myself in juxtapositions throughout my career where I was in roles where, where I was given the freedom and the autonomy to go about doing that in the way that I saw fit. Um, which tended to be the areas where I was more successful rather than positions where not necessarily I I wasn't given the freedom, but the driver of the business was absolutely was absolutely around numbers, 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 numbers. And that's where I didn't fit. And I think that you now upon reflection of my career and where I was successful and where I wasn't successful and some of the challenges that I went through now, now being out of it for six or seven years, um, uh, it was environments where, where that approach was, 
was not blindly accepted, but understood by, uh, I, I think, my leader and people around me versus where I I walked into an environment with that philosophy where it was potentially superficially accepted, but not really. Mm. Um, and, and I found that really challenging um, to handle because it was like, you know, you're going against the grain. And so it doesn't matter what, what you say or arguments you put forward around the long term or what you're trying to build, if the mentality is is around, I suppose, the, the fear of not hitting numbers in the short term, then then it's a very difficult place to for me to operate. Whereas other people that I worked with across all types of different scenarios um, and all types of different banks as well flourished in those environments. Um, and I kind of sit back and go, I, I, that's not me. Yeah, um, it feels like a, it, like a clash of cultures, doesn't it? Yeah, and and I think a clash of skills, skills and and strengths. I, I, I think the the there was parts of my career where I did really well, where I had that freedom and and that ability and all those types of things. Um, but but on two occasions from 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 different leaders. Um, you know, both of them said similar things to me, like, oh, oh I think you, you should be in people and culture. You should be in HR on capability development um, uh, rather than in a sales leadership role. And the whole premise behind that was, was whenever I had one-on-ones with them, I was talking about uh, what we need to do to develop um, sales and service culture and leadership capability to drive it, not how many home loans and this and how many cross sales and 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 da 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 da. And I and and I think that was the juxtaposition between between the leadership styles and mentality that, in some aspects of my career, I I came up against was 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 there immediate thought was oh you should be in in HR and I'm like, <laughs> right. Okay. So it sounds like the, the, but, the seeds are enough, being sown. Was, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, 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 and it's funny that because now, now I've ended up in a career where, where I support organizations drive, drive the right culture and the right workplace environments for people to actually you know, do the activity that everyone expects. Yeah, so so that environment, mm. the experience you're going through, the conversations you're having, the seeds are being sown around where, you know, where your long-term capabilities might lie, which we'll, we'll get onto. One thing, I, mm. but I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity to get some free consultancy out of you because I, I'm mm. still fascinated mm. by this subject. So let's say you and I went into business today and we opened a bank branch, and, and you can do that here. We can take a franchise, we can open a branch. So, so you and me, the bosses, and uh, Rod, Jane, and Freddie work in the, the branch. And it's, their job is really important. And we want them to be happy. And we want them to perform well. And we've got numbers we want to hit. So we're in a pretty big shopping center. And we've got numbers to break even. We've got numbers to drive a Holden. We've got numbers to drive a BMW. And we've got numbers to drive a Ferrari. And we want our mm -hmm. team to be happy. What, is, what does good practice look like? So I put, I put some money in, but I don't really know what I'm doing. You know what you're doing. 
How do we yeah. how do we enable that team to succeed? Sure. So I I kind of bring it back to and I, I the a lot of what I do now with clients across all types of different industries and organisations um, is I try and boil down the complexity of workplace environments and culture and people dynamics and influence as much as possible into some really practical things. Um, and to me, there's three habits um, that if you're a leader of humans in any context, whether you're a business owner or, you know, you're the boning room manager of a meat processing plant or you're a branch manager, there's three habits that if if you create discipline around executing on a daily basis, um, you will hit your numbers consistently over time. And people will find it difficult uh, to decide on whether they leave your team for five grand or 10 grand to go and join another company. And they are, number one is connection, established connections. The absolute, the absolute core of human existence on this planet for us is the fact that we can, we are driven biologically to connect and collaborate with each other. And so if I'm branch manager and I've got three staff in the, Alastair Sharp Bank, um, then the first thing that I would be doing is I would be making sure that that I have built and am building strong human connections with each of those individuals. Um, and, and the best, you know, one of the one-liners that I always say to people is the first step of leadership is to understand that you're leading individuals. You're not leading a team. Yeah, Your relationship with each individual and your ability to be able to connect with them and understand them on a human level, paramount. Because if you don't have that, they're not going to listen to you. So forget what activity or what you're trying to drive or holding them accountable to whatever. If they don't, if they don't have a connection with you, they, they aren't going to listen to you. Yeah. They might comply, right? And and they will comply under a threat response. Yeah, but but you'll find that within three to six months you'll be spending the money to replace Mary with someone else that that you can drive into the ground and then they'll leave in three to six months and away we go. So establishing connections is is critical, and I say establishing because you got to do it every day. Yeah, we all have we all have relationships with people where it was great and then it's gone, and that's that could be because there was a conflict that we didn't deal with or we've just lost touch with each other or whatever that is, right? But human connection has to be a habit. For anyone who's been married out there for a while, <laughs> you will understand that, you know, a part of a healthy marriage is you, you've got to have a habit between the both of you to, to establish and reestablish and reconnect and make sure you're on the same page. So... That's the step, and and I think that's that's the most critical point for me. Is do you want people doing stuff because they want to do it, or do you want people doing stuff because you're telling them to do it? Um, so established connections is number one. 
Number two is then is provide clarity. And so I always say uncertainty is kryptonite to the human brain. And so if 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 you're sending people into an environment for eight hours a day for five days a week and they're uncertain or they can't predict what's going to happen in that environment or what's expected in that environment or what they have to do in that environment, then their brain is going to send them into threat response, which means the big the big shutdown uh, internally. Um, and so clarity becomes an absolute critical aspect of, of daily leadership behaviour, particularly in an environment that, and we all talk, you know, it's cliche, the, you know, the chaos that we deal with now, the busyness of life, the complexity of, of human existence in the first world and all those types of things, which I'm not poo-pooing, I absolutely agree with. But it just it just ramps up the fact that that leaders, leaders of teams can't be ha- can't be having a team meeting on a Monday morning at nine a.m. Right, and saying and giving their clarity, and then saying, you know, good luck out there. I'll I'll see you on Friday. And so, making sure people understand clarity of role, clarity of expectations, um, which is which then brings in the activity. Part of the expectation, Alistair, is that you do five phone calls a day to this list of customers because they're coming off X, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. So, so, so making sure that people are clear on that and, and not thinking that if you say it on Monday, that they'll remember it until two weeks later. Um, and so that becomes really important. And one of the critical things for people to understand about clarity is is that for the human brain, structure liberates. And so I see a lot of leaders get into this this sense of, oh, you know, if I say that or I do that, they'll probably think I'm micromanaging them or, or, you know, I, I want them to have the autonomy to think for themselves and all these types of things. And that's and that's all well and good but if people don't understand the boundaries in which they can operate they'll be uncertain so their brain will be more focused on the uncertainty than on solving the problem that's in the boundaries in which they they operate and so once once people have that clarity about these are the boundaries and expectations in which i can operate yeah that's where creativity and innovation and complex problem solving and customer focused mentality comes from because because they feel safe they feel clear and they're often racing um and so providing clarity has to be a daily mindset and it's not about micromanagement it's, it's not about every day saying to people you know what are you going to do today and how many of these and how many of those and those types of things but it but it's but it's it's testing through throughout the day or for high levels of leadership it could be once a week or once every couple of days are are we on the same page am i on the same page with each of the individuals in my team where are they at do i know what's going on 
Tom, Tom looks a bit down today. I probably need to reconnect with him to see what's going on. All right, so making sure that people are clear as much as humanly possible. Because from a biological perspective is if people are certain um, in an environment, it lowers their threat response, which means the part of their brain that, that engages in work is in charge. So connection clarity, the third one is develop capability, which is obviously one that I'm very passionate about, um, but it does come last and they're in that order for, for a particular reason. Um, but if I focus on develop capability for, for a minute, uh, I, I am talking about professional development plans and all those HR systems that are put in place in organisations to try and drive that. It, it's part of it, um, but it's it's not the majority of it. And to me, I hear a lot of leaders, you know, say to their team, your, your professional development is your responsibility. So you have to take control of it and you have to work out what you want to do. And then you have to present it to me and then I'll figure out how I can support you in doing that. Right. And, and there's some validity to that, right? But if if you're if you're 20 kilos overweight and you turn up to a gym because you finally mustered up the confidence and courage to go, I've got to do something about it, and you turn up to the gym and the personal trainer says to you, your fitness is your responsibility. So what I want you to do is choose the machines that you would like to work out on um and how many times you want to come per week and uh, and then I'll see if I can support you in that yeah the the development of of people i always encourage leaders to take a personal response responsibility in it which is you are the coach now people the human brain will always find the most comfortable and easiest way to do anything because it, it part of its role in our head is to conserve energy uh, and it wants to conserve energy. So when we're under threat, it has enough to keep us alive. Yeah, It hasn't changed since we were back in the cave days. So if a saber-toothed tiger walked around the corner yeah, and we're standing there with hair all over our bodies back in the day, some of us still have that, um, our brain ha has evolved to react to those things and make sure that it's got enough energy. So whenever we face those physical threats, which we don't in the first world environment, we have enough energy to do that. So how it evolved is it tries to find comfort for us all, all the time and it tries to find the easiest way to do something. Right? And so if you have someone in your team that wants in three years' time to be an XYZ role, that's a start, yeah? They probably don't know how to get there. And even if they do know how to get there, they probably need to be pushed by a coach or driven by a coach or helped by a coach. Um, or even if someone, and I've seen this in, in meat processing and timber manufacturing and construction, someone operates a particular piece of machinery, they've got a desire to multi-skill and learn another piece of machinery, yeah, but they're too scared 
to ask for it. They're too scared to do it. So they just don't say anything and they just stay on one piece of machinery. The leader has to take personal responsibility and help people overcome their fears and those types of things to say, no, let's, let's give it a go. And I, I've, I've witnessed this over and over again, um, not only in financial services, but again, in construction, meat processing, people will say, oh, I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And then leaders will just accept that instead of going, well, help me understand why you're just happy what you're doing. Is there anything else going on? When you look around this place, how, how do you think you could improve it? If you're in charge, what would you do? All these types of questions to, to elicit thought and curiosity from the, from the person for them to actually go, well, I'd probably do it this way. Da, 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 da. Then you start to really engage the person. Um, but I see far too often leaders stand behind this statement that, oh, well, it's your, it's your responsibility. So if you don't come to me, then it's your own fault. And it's like, well, that, that's great. That's, that also contributes to absenteeism, wellbeing issues and turnover. Um, so connection, clarity and capability. And the reason I say that they're in that order is you can't develop capability in someone unless they're willing to listen to you and unless you're on the same page with them. And I always, the great example I give is, is if someone came to you and, and gave you a piece of feedback that you did not have a connection with, what would happen in your head in that moment? Yeah. And typically there's, there's, there's probably some violent words, but the diplomatic way to say it is your brain would be looking at that person in the eyes saying your opinion, although interesting, is irrelevant. Yeah. So if you don't have connection as a leader, you can't do anything. You can get compliance, which is short term, which will cost you in the long run. Um, and then if you go, well, let's say you're, you've got a great connection with, one of your team members and you go to give them feedback and there's a lack of clarity, that person's just going to turn around and say, Oh, Oh God, I didn't know that. Sorry. Sorry, Alistair. I didn't real. I didn't see the email. I didn't da, 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 da. And so whatever feedback you had to give is irrelevant because the conversation you should have been having is, Hey, did you read the email? I just want to get on the same page with you. You know, can we have a conversation about X, Y, Z to make sure that we're clear? And so it's a, it's a, and the, you know, there's a myriad of things around people leadership. Um, but what I try and do for people is break it down for them to think about a really practical way to analyze and a lens to look through about what's going on in their environment with their people or other relationships and saying to themselves, where am I? Is it a connection issue? Is it a clarity issue? Is it a capability issue? For them to go, okay, well, it's definitely not connection, it's clarity. So I have to have this conversation with that person or it's a connection with Mary. So I've got to have a, that conversation with Mary. Um, so connection, clarity and capability is really um to me, the, the the big rocks for 
for leadership and and people in general in workplace environments. I love that. I've been I've been making notes as we've been going along, and it it really resonates with me. So, you know, connect with them, understand their why, play to their why, so you understand what, what's in it for them. Be really clear on what the mission is and what good looks like, and then give them the skills to get there. And um, I'm off to go and open a branch now, so I'll see you later. <laughs> good luck with that. I think I've got one. Actually, do you think there's a future in branches? Um, that's a very, very good question. Not long term. No. That's sad, I, isn't it? I, it is sad. Um, it is sad, but that, that kind of leads my brain into this conversation of the intergenerational um, shift that we're going through at the moment, which is enormous, um, given the fact that the boomers were such a big boom. Um, but the, you know, the next, the next seven years, I read a stat somewhere, um, recently, and it's something like 45 to 50% of the workforce in seven years time will be millennial Gen Y. Right, and so we're we're in it now because every time I'm out with business owners or senior leaders, um, who are of the the the, the kind of the uh, top end of Gen X and 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 Boomer, and I'm generalising here. I'm not saying that it's a it's a shared thing by everyone, but there is this frustration from the older generation, the new generation about work ethic and focus and um and and not understanding what you got to put in to get where you want to go and all these times uh, uh, types of grandiose statements and all i'm saying from the younger generation coming through is a couple of things one is they're more interested in work-life balance they've already decided that they're probably not going to own a home um and they're probably not going to go into a huge amount of debt and work-life balance is more important. Uh, they want to work for an organisation that's doing good in the world. And quite frankly, they're not going to put up with the bullshit, leadership behaviour, toxic workplace environments that that boomers and Gen Xers have 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 done in the past. And so, it's a it's a completely different mindset and outlook on life that is is upon us at a macro level in society from a workplace perspective uh and so in terms of are there going to be branches are gen y and millennials and the generation younger than that which i can't remember the name of some of my kids are they going to wander into branches or are they going to have the technology that means that they don't have to how long is cash going to be around for? You know, all all of those types of questions. Will will service will good service experiences be still be provided um, in all industries? Um, yes, absolutely. And will some do it better than others? Just like we we've experienced in our lifetime. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so I don't think it's all bad. Uh, I just think the experiences are going to be different 
and the younger generation is coming through now uh, who will define, you know, what that looks like. And we, we older folk um, really need to start shutting up and listening to the generation coming through um, and not getting caught in, well, they're different to us and their work ethic is this and they don't like this and I can't get them. I can't get them to do anything because ex- da, 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 da. we're going to stop doing that and we're going to zip our mouths shut and we're going to start listening to them. Mm. I think the future of banking, there's a there's a whole podcast in itself in that. So I think if anyone's listening, have a look to the sky now and you'll see that I'm shining up the back <laughs> torch and, you know, let's come along and have a talk about the future of banking. But um, yeah. so, you, you know, the seeds have been sown. You're starting to um, really feel that you're a square peg in a round hole, very much more interested in the capability. And, you know, you're, you're running big sales teams and delivering big numbers. But there comes a point where you've had enough. Yep. What does that look like? Yeah, so 2017, and, and I think having come through the ranks quite quite quickly, um, you know, there was some big benefits to that, but there were some big consequences too, is, is, I, is I hadn't built, I think, my own personal resilience and personal armour um, that you see in in a lot of people who have who have climbed the ladder probably a bit slower than me a bit older a bit wiser those types of things and so i did have i did have some experiences um that for me at that time with my level of maturity were were i think quite frustrating and to some and to some degree for me at that point quite traumatic um and then also in my personal life during during that period, probably from about 2000, from 2010 to 2017, I had some real ups and downs in that department too. So there was a there was a good stint to that uh, where you'd go to work. Well, I would go to work and I'd be constantly in this kind of threat mentality with adrenaline and cortisol running around the body. And then you'd drive home and you'd have the same thing. And so, so there was this, this, this period of time where I was going through it. I had no idea that I was going through it at the time. Absolutely no idea. I was a muscle on, keep, keep pressing on, you know, those types of things, not, not realizing um, what was going on from a mental health perspective. Didn't really know about mental health. Um, you know, had the attitude of just keep turning up, all those types of things, uh, which which obviously, which obviously took its toll. And so, in two thousand and seventeen, there was stuff that went on um, at the at the bank that I was at at that particular time, um, and. And I also got presented with an opportunity to kind of jump ship at that point and run a boutique um, org development consultancy company that that was small but complex in terms of what it did. Uh, and so I wasn't really loving my time 
where I was at that point. Uh, I wasn't uh, getting on with the leadership. Um, I was a, I felt like I was a, you know, square peg round hole type thing. But what I didn't realize at that time too, is I had all of this, this, you know, couple of years worth of, of build up of, of stress and anxiety and all those types of things. And so, and so I jumped ship. I kind of said to myself, well, I could stay here and press on and, and continue down the corporate path and become executive, you know, CEO, that type of level, um, or jump ship and have a crack at, at, you know, spending my time and efforts and energy in what I believed at the time would be work that I love, which turns out, you know, was, was partially true at the time. So you move into org development consulting, and this is where you start to hone your, well, both your skills and your particular focus area. So, yeah. so, so what kind of assignments were you, were you running and managing and picking up at that time? And, and what patterns were you seeing that has, has channeled you into this area of, you know, psychological safety, uh, culture optimization, optimizing the workplaces for success? Yeah. So I think the, the, the world that I was released into. So, so the mechanics of the role at the time was, was I was, I was CEO of this consulting firm, but a part of that role um, to pay for my salary was to actually go out and consult. So any work that I, that I did client facing, any fees that we earned would actually go back to the, the organization X, Y, Z, which was fantastic because uh, that's the bit I loved the the operational side of of being the CEO um, was okay, but the stuff I, that that really floated my boat was getting out there in client businesses. And the greatest thing was is I got well out of financial services and went went deep into agriculture and meat processing and timber manufacturing and spent huge amount of time in uh, construction uh, and all these different kind of industries that, that, that I was, I was never used to. Um, and so I think, you know, when I think about all of that and, and, and where the, where the connection clarity and capability birthplace kind of was, was, wandering around all these different workplaces, whether I was standing in front of boards of meat processing companies or executive teams or a room full of 15, you know, supervisors in meat processing plants who have 20 people underneath them, you know, doing this hardcore manual labour, was... We humans get so caught up, so caught up in the technical and commercial aspects of business, which which is the the technical aspects of business is what you do. So it's your it's your plant and equipment, it's the machines, it's the process, 
it's it's how efficient can we get this machine to run so it punches out more output for less money commercial is is how effective and efficient the business is it's the customer and market strategy it's all those types of things we we get all caught up in in that um and then when it comes to people uh we we tend to dismiss it it's like oh they're just having a whinge oh don't worry don't worry about them they'll get over it i'll just let them know what's going on and they'll get over it and then and and i see that in organizations who have really great in, intentions and hr teams that roll out focus groups and surveys where they survey their, their employees or they set up focus groups with their employees and ask them diligently how they think the organization can improve and spend all this money on doing that and then and then do nothing with it or they'll send out a group-wide e email saying thanks for your feedback we've taken it on board we're working through it um and then for the next six or seven cycles of executive team meetings or senior leadership team meetings or board meetings, it's on, well, how are we going to replace the $5 million XYZ machine? And where are we going to, and what, what are we doing? Are we going to expand into Asia? And da, 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 da. Meanwhile, their bread and butter, the thing that's the, the, the one thing that's actually going to drive performance and customer satisfaction and everything they've just forgotten about oh shit did we get back to that focus group thing we did um and so it doesn't matter what industry or what organization you're in we humans have this tendency to love focusing on stuff that we understand and is finite and we can plug into a spreadsheet and press a button and it'll it will convince us that if we spend that $20 million on that machine, we'll get our money back in five years. Great. Let's do that. Whereas the people aspect of business or the social domain of business is murky and it's hard and it's complex. Um, but it's where the goal is. It's where productivity is. It's where performance is. Um, yes. Yes. You can play around with your machines and your processes and all those types of things. To me, that's getting you to the start line. If if you're behind the eight ball in your technical and commercial aspects of your business, then, yeah, you have to catch up. But you don't have to have the Rolls Royce to win, to beat your competitors, to be the best with your customers, to have the most loyal employees, to have the best numbers around absenteeism turnover and all, you don't need it yeah what you do need is you need a a leadership team who understands the fact that that the people aspect of business takes a hell of a lot of work and a hell of a lot of energy and a hell of a lot of time but but it's where the competitive advantage for any organization will lie which makes perfect and sense. <clears throat> and you, you paint a yeah. picture that it almost sounds 
comic you know it sounds like a, like a cartoon strip and surveys and surveys and surveys and then not doing anything with them and I sit there going oh my organization wouldn't do that and, and I don't think they would but I definitely think they can be better or I definitely think organizations where I've worked before can be better do you mm. think do you think in the time you've spent consulting with these organizations and working with them do you think the realization is changing? Do you think organizations are getting better or do you think they've still got a long ways to go? Because, you know, you see surveys and you get feedback and it's pretty clear what you need to do, but then the organization has to make a choice. I've only got so many people in the organization and I've only got so much budget and there could be headwinds in the business and, and you know, the, the economy could be experiencing some difficulty. So, so I can't afford to, to rip everything out and start again. I can't afford to fix everything at once but you've got to do something. So how, how do you mm. choose what to do? And do you think organizations are getting better at doing something? The answer to that is absolutely 100% yes. And I think that's the, that's, that's what, like, it's what kind of floats my boat at, at the moment in terms of a moment in time of, of where we are. And particularly if you look over the last six to eight years, um, are uh, uh, senior leadership teams becoming more cognizant and understanding of of the stuff that I just spoke about? Hell yes, which is which is so good. Um, and even when you look at you know big big engagement data from Gallup, um, you know I think it was in two thousand and sixteen, maybe Australia, New Zealand. 14% of people surveyed were in the thriving category. And that that's the category where people say, I love my job, uh, which is now up to 22%. So that's a fairly, a fairly big jump. And we can get into the impact on COVID on that. Um, but uh, yes, we're getting much better. And that's music to my ears, particularly around people's curiosity around how how do we develop our leaders our leadership capability to create environments um that people actually want to turn up to and give their discretionary effort and and do that consistently over time and i think that's been driven by a lot of things i think it's covid I also think it's the it's it's the rise of the buzzword of psychological safety and people really starting to understand it. It's it's the government rolling out legislation that says, hey, if you're an organization in this country, you now need to show us how you're preventing psychosocial hazards, which basically means um um how how are you creating psychologically safe workplaces? from a systems capability and process perspective. So all of these things are really, really good. Where I think the missing piece is, which I think if you combine that with the intergenerational shift and the state of productivity in Australia and all these types of things that are swirling around, um, there's, 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 one thing that I think if if you're a leader of any team at any level of an organization, 
or you're a leader at home or you're a leader of a sports club, understanding what psychological safety is, how it impacts human engagement and how to go about cultivating it, I think is is more and more a critical skill. But you can have environments where there's high psychological safety and shit performance. Yeah, because you can have really great environments where people say, I love my boss, I love my teammates, I love coming to work because we don't have to do anything. Right? The, the, the critical thing for leaders to understand now and in the future is psychological safety and accountability and how to bring them together and in what order and, and, and how to go about doing that. Because if you, if you have, if you ignore psychological safety and you just go accountability, that's compliance. That's short term. That's drive, drive the people into the ground by the numbers Right, and then spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars replacing them in six months just because you got the numbers and your profit's gone because everyone's left. Um, psychological safety only means there's no performance because the human tendency is to be comfortable. All I have to do is turn up and we have good chats and my boss gets me and understands me and it's great, it's really comfortable. Um, that means that I don't have to step outside my comfort zone and do something that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And so how do you balance those two worlds to a point where you got high psych safety, high accountability, which is high psych safety and high performance. And I think that's, that's the tenant now that people need to understand when we're talking about psychological safety, because a lot of, the, the, the connection that people are making between psychological safety in the workplace is mental health, which is our oh, psychological safety is about mental well-being and, and, and preventing mental health at work, which yes, the, the logic is there. If, if you put someone in a, in an environment where they don't feel psychologically safe long enough, yes, it'll affect their mental health. But what people need to understand about psychological safety is if you want performance, You've got to have it. It's it doesn't. I guarantee you, if there's no psychological safety, you'll have performance as a blip. Um, but it's it's how to create psychological safety with accountability. Yeah. So you push people into their uncomfort zone and go, "Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, this sucks." And you're making us do this, and then the team starts to perform. They go, "Oh, look at us. We're performing." All right. And then over time, what happens is as a leader, you, you all you have to do is monitor because your team members start to hold each other accountable and so on and so forth. And so for me, I think that's the that that's the the next evolution of leadership capability. And I'd love to hear some examples of of organizations that are getting it right, because you you're right, there's that parallel with with performance and you know, often the best analogies are sporting teams because you can disengage it from the corporate culture and then you can play back the parallels. You know, the, the team needs to succeed, wants to win the league. And, you, you know, you want to say to your players, I've got your back, I believe in you. Uh, there'll be times where, where we don't quite hit the mark and, you know, that's okay, you know, develop, try. But ultimately, 
there's also things if you if you're kicking the ball wrong and it's not going in the net you need to learn to kick it the other way and if you can't learn to kick it the other way there'll be a point at which you'll be substituted off until you can learn to kick it the proper way and then you might get back on the pitch now that person's mm. going to feel sad when that happens they're going to feel dejected yeah. they're going to feel criticized but that has to happen for that team to win so taking yep. that to a corporate scenario how can you manage performance in that way and and say look it's psychologically safe but actually, there's still going to be times where you feel a bit sad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the the, the thing with psychological safety that people can get caught up in is it's all it's all really nice and fluffy and rosy and lollipops. Psychological safety in teams, um, in team environments, can be hardcore debates. So. And I'll break this down for you. If 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 you and I are in the same team, right, and and it's a high performing team, and we we are clear that the expectation that w- when we come together as a team, that if we've got strong opinions about the direction of where we're going or something, then we voice it, and we voice it in an environment because we feel safe to do so, because we understand the expectations that when we walk out of this room. This is just a debate. It's not about Alistair and Steve. It's about the process or the product or the whatever we're debating. Yep. And so we both walk into that environment feeling really safe to argue our points vigorously. Yep. Because we know we're part of this team and that's what we do. And we walk out of the room and I say, Al, that was good, mate. Yep. I think I won, but you probably think you, you won. Whatever, let's go for a beer. Yep. That's a psychologically safe environment. Psychologically safe environment is me me as your leader sitting you down and going, I'm really concerned about you. Um, is there anything going on at home that I don't know about? No, there's not. Well, your performance has dropped, mate. Yeah. And I'm not happy about it. So let's have a conversation about that. That's a psychologically safe environment. A, an environment where people don't feel a sense of psychological safety. You and I would walk into the room that we're expected to debate something and we would not do it. We would sit there in silence or we would half do it. But in our heads, we would be going, how the hell, what can I say to get out of this meeting as quickly as possible. Yeah, we would zip up. Mm. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Which is a threat. Yeah, threat response, which is avoidance. Yeah. So we won't we won't want to share our passionate views on what we should do at all. In fact, you and I would probably talk before the meeting agreeing on what we're going to say so it looks like we are, but we don't, and we get out of there as quickly as possible. Right? And so this this headspace that psychological safety is all warm and fussy and lollipops is not correct. Um, it, it's, it's an environment where people understand the expectations and feel safe to behave that way because they know that they're going to be backed up. They know that they've got the backing of people. They're clear on the expectations and those types of things. You, you put someone in an unpsychologically safe environment, which tends to be uncertainty, 
There's no way I'm saying that in the meeting. Absolutely not. No. Um, it could be an environment, and and this is where I differentiate trust to psychological safety. Trust is a one-on-one -on -one concept. If you're my boss, yeah, I can have a really great relationship with you, high trust. We can thrash stuff out together. I can come to you with any problem, whether it's home or at work, right? It's all confidential and we can have that conversation. But put me in a team meeting with my teammate, Mary. I'm not going to say anything because yeah. every time I say something, Mary comes over the top of me. She embarrasses me. She, she does all that. And so therefore in our team meetings with the boss that I have high trust with, I don't feel a sense of psychological safety. And so part of part of what I'm trying to do in my professional life is bring this level of understanding to people leaders uh, to enable them to then behave in certain ways or ask questions in certain ways or change their behaviour to create environments where they can build psychologically safe, high accountability environments over time. There's some key takeaways in that for me. I mean, all of it, I agree with. It's really relevant. I spend a lot of time, you know, operating in leadership teams and I have done in, in various different organizations. And I think there's a really important takeaway for, for leadership and senior leadership teams there because they're all strong, successful people that have done well to get to that position. And, you know, none of them are being bullied and, and none of them are being picked on. And it's not, you know, it's not an unsafe environment in that way. You know, no one's sent home feeling inferior and no one's criticized. Yet, if they're walking out of those meeting rooms and they're saying yes and they're doing no, or if they're not entering the debate properly, or if they're not being really curious and trying to explore and get to the root cause of the issue, and they're not prepared to have those debates openly, then then that's a psychologically unsafe environment that they probably don't realize. You know, they'll be looking elsewhere in the organization going, are we doing the right thing for our people? Are we leading our people properly? So in, in those kind of scenarios, where would you take a leadership team back to say, well, well, we've got to, we've got to break some stuff down and build it back up to get you in a position where you are able to debate these things? Yeah, well, I, well, well, I think first thing, the first thing that I do is is I measure it. And so I think the 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 greatest thing that you can give leaders, and when I think about people leadership too, just as a side note, it is it is the greatest and most challenging job that I think anyone could could possibly have because uh, it is so complex and it it's so difficult and, you know, the amount of nights you spend questioning yourself and your own ability um, when you're leading other people uh, and questioning your own instincts and thoughts and those types of things, it's its tiring. Um, and I spent, you know, I spent a long time um, in those kind of mental moments of, you know, self-doubt or, uh, or, you know, really internally debating on how I handle situations and those types of things. One of the things I think we need to give people in terms of this journey of of increasing understanding 
and leadership capability around developing psych safety is you've got to give them the data. Um, so that's step number one. And I'm not talking about engagement. You know, we've been measuring engagement for for over two decades now. Most companies use use companies like Gallup or NPS surveys or mm. Pulse surveys or all these types of things. They they yes, yes, they give you a flavor of engagement, but they don't measure the root cause. Um psychological safety is the root cause of human engagement in anything, anywhere with anyone. Um, so before we humans make the decision to engage in something, we have to feel a sense of psychological safety first, right? And so if, if we can give the insights and the data to leaders about psychological safety levels in their teams, then we're giving them the root cause data. Um, and so by, by being able to provide that data and that and those insights to leaders provides them with, with a number of aha moments. Some are really comfortable, some are great, some aren't so comfortable or great. And I think and what I've seen um, in recent times, the last couple of years, when I've been doing this, is the is the is the increase in self awareness in leaders when they see this data and they understand the interpretation, they understand the insights. Is is the oh shit moments? Oh god, I didn't know I was doing that. Oh, is that how they? Why do they feel like? Am I doing that? Is that because of me? Um, and so with great leaders, with, with leaders who have developed a level of self-awareness and curiosity and those types of things, you, all you have to do is give them the insight and then stand back. Cause like, Oh my God, I can't believe we're doing that. I've got to have, right. I'll have this conversation and I'll go about it this way. Um, with some, with some leaders, it's quite jarring. Because they 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 had been operating in a certain way or not understanding the impact of their own behaviour on others, and I've seen scenarios where data's come back where the the team or the teams have completely shut down. Yeah, we just don't we just we just tell him what he wants to hear. <laughs> then you've got a bigger problem to fix. Yeah. So I think number one is is you've got to you you've got to bring psychological safety into the practical, visual, hands-on world because it as soon as you say psychological safety to someone, it conjures up this complex. Oh, it's mental well-being. Mm. So you've got to make it real. You've got to make it practical, and you've got to make it immediate for people which is, oh, I understand it. Oh, I can see it. Um, so that's step number one. Step number two, funny enough, mate, is I come back to connection, clarity, and capability. Yeah. And I've found this over and over again when there is, when there is conflict in teams, particularly at the senior level, when there's unaddressed conflict in teams, 
this is where it shows up. And this is the the tough situation when the data comes in front of the team and they're all sitting around the table and it's awkward as hell. Everyone's uncomfortable. Um, and I lay on the table. The the issue, ladies and gentlemen, and, and I did this with a, a division of about 250 people. I was with the senior leadership team of this division. The issue, ladies and gentlemen, is in this room for the 250 people below you. It's here. And so all, all these low scores from the 250 people, yeah, it is in fact being caused by you. Yeah. And so, and, and to, that's where you go back to connection. Yeah. If there's a conflict between one-on-one -on -one relationships in this room or one-to-many in this room, then you've lost connection. Therefore, you've lost the ability to influence each other. Therefore, you won't talk to each other about clarity. Therefore, you won't help each other build each other's capability. Therefore, you'll just put your horse blinkers on and do what's right for your team and not consider the rest of the business. Yeah, I, I, I can see how I could apply that straight away that you know mm. the connection the clarity the capability and at the connection piece in that context i always call it crying on a hillside and it doesn't have to be crying on a hillside but i think i think getting out of the office with with your the team that you're working with your peers and you know experiencing something outside of the office where you can bond is really useful crying on a hillside would, would work for me but it doesn't work for everyone in this day and age i think the the, the clarity mm. You know, setting the terms of reference for what the leadership team is is really important, and perhaps not everyone does this. So, you know, as a leader, senior leader, you've got your vertical, so you've got your line of business that you have to deliver. But, but it's saying that's okay. But when you're in this room, it's not about your line of business, and it's not about no. your line of business, and it's not about your line of business over there. It's about the strategic element of the business. It's about how we all come together to drive the the, the totality of the business. So that's the mm. clarity when you're in this room. It's different. And then mm. from a capability perspective, you know, yeah, yeah, have we got the ability to have the right conversations? And perhaps if we find that we don't have the ability to have the right conversations, that's when we bring a character like you in to say, you know, can, can we uh, apply an intervention somehow? Can you help us get over this? That could be a really mm. uncomfortable moment as well, but I can really see how that can work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the, that if... If if there's openness and curiosity, uh, then in in a in any leadership team, but particularly in senior leadership teams, if there's openness and curiosity, um, then you're eighty percent there. Um, but from from my experience and and from what I've seen in a in a lot of organisations, not all, absolutely not all is the higher up the organization you get the more political it gets and the more the more executives and senior leaders are pinned against each other yeah oh alistair and steve have to present to the executive team today and they're both pitching for x amount of millions of dollars for the their their pet projects um you know rather than executive teams saying you know we've got all this stuff on you all want some stuff 
how about what what we expect of you is is you guys to collaborate and come and come to us with an overall solution on how we're going to do X, Y, Z, da, 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 da. But I still see it today is it's the it's the it's the IT person presents their pitch and it's this person presents their pitch and executive teams sit around the table pitted against each other for money and pride and all these types of things. And I, I just think um, as soon as those senior leadership teams can can get over that and start to think um, more collaboratively around we've got a hell of a lot of problems in front of us. We've got a very complex world we're walking into over the next 10 years how how do we think differently and do differently and how do we create habits in in the organization below us um collaboration and innovation and those types of things are are what we do rather than um get them to come to executive meetings and present the numbers yeah Hunger Games never work. I, I, I think mm. I think safety really plays to that one. If you've got safety in your ability, if you've got safety around your stature and position in the organisation, if you've got safety in your role, you're much more able to think strategically and go, well, my line of business can, can play second fiddle for a while because it's okay and it's more, well, you're more open that we put the resources over here. Yeah, you're more open to that. All mm. right, as we get towards yeah. the end of this, I want to play a quick start, stop, continue quiz with you. So based sure. on all the people you've worked with, all your experience, everything you've seen, what would be the one thing that, that we should all start that we're probably not doing to optimize our workplace for performance? Connecting. Absolutely, 100%. Uh I, 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 I would guarantee that ninety nine percent of us uh, do not focus enough on the strength of our connections with people that we work with. Not only that, the people that we live with, the people that we socialise with. Um, I, I would, I'd put my money on ninety nine percent. So, human connection is the basis of our existence. The stronger your connections, let's just put it in the work context, the stronger your connections, and I'm not just talking about with your own individual team, I'm talking about with your peers, I'm talking about with your leader, I'm talking about with your suppliers, I'm talking about with your customers. The stronger your connections, the easier your life will become at work. So that would be my number one. Love it. Again, so now we're on the stop. All the people you've worked with, everything you've seen, biggest patterns, What's the one thing that we should stop that we're probably doing? Uh, <laughs> where do you start with this one? Um, I think when I, and, and I'm, I'm reflecting on my consulting experience across organisations, and I say this diplomatically for leaders in organizations is stop blaming other people. And I'm guilty of it. I'll say it right now. I was there. I was one of them. 
been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, uh, not the right thing to do. Um, and, the, and the message comes from a basis of put the mirror up and make sure that you're doing everything that you have in your control because that's all you can ever worry about. The, the, the minute you start blaming external factors on your own situation is the minute that you lose control of yourself. So stop blaming others. Stop blaming. Last one, continue. What are we doing? What, gen, by and large, generally, all the people you speak to, what are we all doing that we probably don't realize the value of? So it's like, whatever you do, don't stop doing that. Keep going, keep going. That's really valuable. I I, I actually think what we need to continue is to continue the conversation and the curiosity around things like workplace well-being, things like psychological safety, things like diversity and inclusion, uh, things like equity. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we overdo it. And, and you know, you hear all these stories, oh, we're overdoing it and the and 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 it's all too much and the pendulum is swinging too far one way and you know maybe it is but but i think as as more and more we dive into and get curious about these concepts the closer we get to understanding the true human nature which is which is tribalism yeah how, how do we make sure that more and more people from diverse backgrounds are actually comfortable around here? Um, because the more that we can make people not comfortable, sorry, wrong word, feel psychologically safe around here, the more ideas we're going to get. Yep. And they're coming from different angles. And the more ideas we get, the probably the, the more innovation will create and the more creative solutions we'll get um and all of those types of things so so i think we've got a we've got to march forward um with purpose around continuing the the knowledge and the curiosity around uh how do we get more people from diverse backgrounds of not just gender and and ethnicity and all those types of things, background of personality, background of thought, background of experience. How do we get more and more of that diversity working in a cohesive way in teams and organisations in this country? Um, because I think that will go a long way to producing the performance and the prosperity that we're all after. That sounds good to me. So start connecting, stop blaming Keep the DEI train rolling. Yeah. Steve, we've only scratched the surface. If people want to work with you, if they want to learn more, if they want you to come and speak, how can they reach out to you? Sure. So there's a couple of ways. One is email, which is steve at stevesharp.com.au. Uh, my website is www.stevesharp.com.au uh, or on LinkedIn. So... I'm a LinkedIn tragic. Uh, so if you look up Steve Sharp, 
uh, or Steve Sharp speaker on LinkedIn, you'll see my ugly mug uh, and you can get in contact with me. That way I, I post, um, you know, really consistently. Uh, so if you're interested, you can go into my page and have a look at a vast array of the the articles and blogs and videos that I've put up around what I'm passionate about. Content's good. There's a lot of video content on there. Steve, yeah, I love it. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. That was a really good conversation. I've got a lot of takeaways. If I had more budget, I'd probably contract with you tomorrow. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Thanks <laughs> I'm not very that much. expensive. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs>